introduced this series a couple of weeks ago, and it's about uh, historical events. It's an interesting book because half of it, the first half is like history, and the second half is very prophetic, you know, where Daniel will get these visions and these dreams about like the end of the world and stuff like that. So we're going to talk a little bit about that towards the end of the series. I know a lot of you, you know, have questions, and sometimes people will ask me and say, when are you going to talk about end time stuff? And it's like, okay, well, this will give us an opportunity to talk about some of that. But anyway, um, so 2,600 years ago, Kim, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and Babylon at that point was the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, like by far, modern-day Iraq, and uh, they invaded Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem, it, southern, the southern kingdom, Judah, they hadn't been faithful to God. The northern tribes had already been judged, carried off by the Assyrians, and now it was Jerusalem's turn or Judah's turn. And so Babylon came in and they leveled everything. They tore down the walls. They tore down the temple. They carried off a lot of the holy items that were in the Holy of Holies and put them in the gods of the, of the Babylonian pagan, you know, temples and gods. And so that was really painful for the Jewish people. Killed the king, killed a lot of people. And something else that they did was kind of their M.O. when they would conquer a nation is they would take the best and brightest, like the Harvard and Yale kids, and they would, they would carry them off to, to in exile to Babylon and then train them so that they could become the counselors and the ones who, who kind of gave wisdom uh, to the king. So they could have the best and brightest in the world kind of leading and guiding Babylon. And so that's what happened to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were young. They were probably teenagers. They, they, you know, their parents might have been killed when all this was going on. You know, there was a lot of devastation. They get carried off to Babylon. Now, now Babylon, you know, the thing about, the thing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and what we'll see, is not only did they survive, you know, and just manage to like, all right, we're going to hold on to God, or we're going to hold on to faith. They did that, but they not only survived, they also thrived. I mean, they, they were faithful to God, but they were honored by God, and they were lifted up and raised up by God, and they had incredible influence. God used them in an incredible way. And so, so the, the kind of subtext of this series is learning to live as exiles. And so what can we learn from Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Because what we need to understand biblically, Babylon is not just a city or a nation-state that was around 2,600 years ago. According to the, to the Bible, Babylon is a spirit. There's a spirit of Babylon that inhabits nations all throughout history. So whenever you have nations that are kind of opposing God and opposing the people of God, whether you're talking about Egypt, or you're talking about Assyria, or you're talking about Babylon, or you're talking about first century Rome, or you're talking, you know, you're talking about, you know, 21st century United States, there's the spirit of Babylon which is on display. And, and it says in the book of Revelation, we'll talk about this in a few weeks, that God is going to judge Babylon, that God is going to judge, not like resurrect the nation of Babylon from 2,600 years ago, but the spirit of Babylon. And so we need to understand that we are living at a time when the spirit of Babylon is alive and well in 21st century United States. You know, and I think sometimes we, we lose sight of that because, you know, we, we've had this weird kind of blending of like God and politics and patriotism and all this like, this like national religion, which is not biblical Christianity by any means. And it can kind of make things a little bit confusing where, where we don't realize that, wait a minute, no, we are exiles, right? We are strangers living in a strange land. And so that if we are following Jesus, just like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're, there's going to be times when we're going to realize like, whoa, wait a minute. 
you know, I'm a citizen of heaven, and so my accent, my, my homeland is different from where I'm living right now, and that's going to show up in a lot of different ways. That's going to show up in the way that you think. That's going to show up in some of the things that you do. That's going to show up in your values. And one of the things that makes it so hard living in modern Babylon, and I debated whether or not I would include this in my sermon, but I decided to go ahead and do it because I think it's good for us to think about One of the things that makes it hard for us to be faithful to Jesus or something that we come up against over and over again in kind of 21st century American Babylon is the postmodern mindset is the philosophy of postmodernism. Now, now postmodernism was something that was, it's a philosophy, it was taught by men like Michael Foucault and, and Jacques Derrida, really popular in the 1960s. But what ends up happening is that something gets taught in the university, and then like a generation later, it's wor- it works its way down into the streets. And so postmodernism is now the defining philosophy of our age. And so some of the basic things about postmodernism, you know, one is that there's no truth. There's no what, what postmodernists call a meta-narrative. There's no grand truth that, like, that, that is true, like all of our individual stories kind of fold into this great big meta-narrative. And so what that means is nothing is objectively true, meaning that nothing is true for everyone, right? And if you believe that anything is objectively true, well then, you know what, You're, not only are you naive, you might actually be kind of dangerous. Because if you believe that there's an objective truth standard, that there's something that's true for everyone, that might be some kind of a power grab. That might be something that you're doing to try to keep people down. That's something that we need to be suspicious of. And so the most important thing in postmodernism is that you discover and embrace your individual truth. Right? You discover and embrace your own little personal story. There's no meta-narrative. There's nothing that's true for everyone. There's just what is true for you, right? your unique identity. And so you need to discover your truth and your identity, and then no one can tell you that that's wrong. No one can say, hey, wait a minute, hold on. That, that like line doesn't line up with something to do with objective truth because there's no objective standard of truth. And so postmodernism shows up in so many different ways. I mean, there's so many things that we're dealing with in our culture and the challenges that we face is really just kind of another face of postmodernism. But you see, followers of Jesus living in Babylon believe that there is an objective standard of truth. Followers of Jesus reject the basic tenets really of the philosophy of the age right now, which says there is no truth because we believe, John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so anything that Jesus says, because He's the unique Son of God who came to show us the Father and died on the cross and rose from the dead, anything that He says is objectively true for everyone and is not a power grab, is not like the, patri- you know, the, the patriarchy manifesting itself. It's just whatever Jesus says is true because he's the Son of God. And so, you know, and, and this is, again, something that we, we come up, uh, there's so many different ways that we butt up against this. There was a 17th century theologian named Pierre Nicole, 
And he argued that human beings, not being willing to render their actions to conform to the law of God, have endeavored to render the law of God to conform to their actions. So that's what he said in the 1700s. He said, basically, listen, we've got God's law and we're unable to live up with it. So what we do is we twist God's law so we can better fit our lives. What what postmodern you know, American Babylon has done is a whole like next level on this. We've said, we're not even trying to twist God's law. We're just saying there's no law. There's no law. There's no standard. There's no right and wrong. You can, you know, everybody can do, everybody can do what they, what they want to do. Uh, and, and that the idea that there's something outside of your wants and your desires and thoughts that you need to submit to is something that is, is considered absolutely anathema. And so how do we stand firm? How do we stand firm? As, as, as exiles in Babylon, how do we stand firm? 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 to 14 says this. First of all, be on your guard. And so that's really the reason that I'm talking about this stuff today is we need to be aware. I want you to be on your guard. Don't be surprised when, when you feel a little... Like, listen, living in Babylon, you should feel uncomfortable from time to time. Right? So don't be surprised. And if you never feel uncomfortable, then maybe you're not doing such a good job living as an exile. Maybe you've kind of, you know, you've kind of gone along, you go along to get along a little too much. But be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And then I love this. Do everything in love. Right? So I've, I've, as I've said, as I'm talking about culture, as I'm talking about Babylon, we are not a church that gets involved in the culture wars. We don't play culture war games. We, we, are, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against angels, principalities, and powers. Like that's, that's our struggle. So we're not going to get involved in like the culture wars. But we, so we want to do everything in love. We want to stand firm, but we just want to love people, and we want to have grace for people, and we want to have mercy for people. But in the midst of it, though, we need to stand. And so let me ask you, let me challenge you. Are you standing? Are there some areas in your life where maybe you need to stand up? Will you identify as a Christian? Will you stand up? Jesus said that if we, we acknowledge him before men, our heavenly father will, he'll acknowledge us before his heavenly father. And so you might be in some circumstances or some situations where it could cost you some social equity to identify as a Christian. But are you going to stand up and identify as, as a follower of Jesus? Will you let Jesus, uh, the truth of Jesus, inform your dating life? Because when you talk about Babylon and the kingdom of God, you know, what Babylon says about sex and what God says about sex couldn't be more different, right? One of the, difference, like the differences between Babylon and the kingdom of God shows up in the sexual ethic almost more than anything. What about at work? Are you standing up at work as a follower of Jesus? You know, ask yourself this question. You know, are you truthful in everything that you do? What would it be like for you to say, you know what, just as a rule of thumb, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to manipulate data. I'm not going to fudge. You know, I'm not going to lie to a client. I'm not going to lie to an employee. I'm not going to lie to a supervisor. I'm not going to lie in a report. I'm not going to lie in my resume. I'm just going to let my yes be yes and my no be no. See, I think there, there's so many ways. Like, we need to think about, are we, we got to be courageous, we got to be aware, but then we got to stand. And so are we standing? Now, I think right now for us to stand in this, like, modern iteration of Babylon, it could cost us some social equity. It could cost us a job. Maybe you might work in an environment. Like, if I start telling the truth in my business, I'm going to be out of a job pretty soon, you know? Well, then, you know, then you just got to trust God to have another job for you, whatever it might be. But, but are you standing up?
And right now, you know, I think that it could just cost us social, social equity. It's not going to necessarily cost us our life. But, but Christians all around the world, they're standing up and it's costing them their life. Or it's putting their life in danger, putting their life in jeopardy. And that's been true all throughout history. There was a guy in World War II, this Japanese Christian named David Sutada. And he was thrown into jail in 1942. He was thrown into solitary confinement in this dank basement for like two years. And his crime was he was accused of treason by the Japanese government. And the reason he was accused of treason is because he referred to Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he would not say that Emperor Hirohito was greater than Jesus Christ. And so he was arrested on charges of treason and thrown into prison for two years. I think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another World War II example. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor during World War II, during Hitler, during, you know, in Germany, during the rise of the Third Reich. And one of the really shameful things in our history, in Christian history, is the way that churches in Hitler's Germany did not stand up for the gospel did not stand up for truth and righteousness. They, they often went along to get along. And so they, you know, they didn't stand up against the evils of the Third Reich and the evils of Hitler. And, and when they were even seeing their Jewish neighbors disappearing and being put on trains and being carted off, what it said of the German churches is that often they would just sing their hymns a little bit louder to drown out the trains that they were hearing. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer wasn't like that. See, Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up against the evils of Nazism, stood up against the evils of Hitler, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer ended up being arrested, sent to a concentration camp, and ultimately executed because he stood up. Or I think about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And let me just say something. In our society, it seems that we, when, we talk about Dr., when we talk about Martin Luther King, we emphasize the doctor, but we forget the reverend. Right? He was reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. He was a man of God. He was a minister of the gospel. And when he stood up against, against Babylon, when he stood up against the evils of racism, he was standing up as a Christian. He was standing up as a man of God. He was standing up as a stranger in a strange land. And I love this one story that he tells. It was early on in his ministry. And his daughter, his first, his first child had just been born. And so his, his newborn daughter is sleeping in another room. And at around midnight, he gets a call. The phone rings, so he answers it. And it's an angry voice on the line. And the person says, you know, N-word. You and your family, you have three days to get out of here. And if you're not out of here, we're going we're gonna to kill you and your family. We're going to blow up your house and hung up the phone. And so, so Reverend you know, King had gotten threats like this before, but there was something different about this, probably because his little baby was just you know, sleeping in the next room. And he was agitated. He was stirred up. He said you know, he was trying to go to sleep. He couldn't go to sleep. He, he couldn't get peace. He said he sought comfort in all sorts of things. He, he, he drank a cup of coffee. That, that's not going to help you go to sleep at midnight. I don't, know. I don't know what he was thinking. He just tried other things, but he couldn't find comfort. But what he says that he did is that in that moment, he surrendered to Jesus in a deeper way. Now, he was a Christian, but there was something that happened in that moment, sitting in his kitchen, filled with fear, realizing what he was facing. He surrendered to Jesus. He said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right, but it's really hard. And God, I'm scared, and I don't know if I can keep doing this. And then he says that he heard the voice of Jesus, that the voice of Jesus spoke to him and said, and said stand up. Stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. 
And, and Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says that the presence of God filled that kitchen and he was filled with a strength and he was filled with a resoluteness to stand that was given to him by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we need to stand up. And so what we're going to look at today, amen, we're going to look at a very famous story, pretty well-known story uh, that involves standing up. And so it involves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know where Daniel was in all this. I'm sure he was, you know, somewhere, but he's not mentioned in this story. But starting at verse 1, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial, provincial officials. They could have just said all the officials. And so, but anyway, just to get the idea, like all the VIPs have to be here. So, they, so then it repeats it again. They all show up, verse 3. And, uh, and, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. Now, when we're dealing with Babylon, right, we're trying to live as exiles, just understand there are going to be times when Babylon will command you to do things. Babylon will command you and say, this is how you have to think about this. This is what you have to do. This is how you have to behave. It's one of the things that Babylon does. And that's where God's people always get in trouble with Babylon because Babylon will command something and God's people will say, yes, yeah, sorry, we can't do that. And so they command, they say, here's what you're going to do. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all other kinds of music... All the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so what happened was that Daniel, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't going to do it. And so you had all the officials, and by this point they were officials, and they're all gathered together leading the way, and they refused to do it. And so some people, I guess they were just standing there when everyone else was bowing down. And so they get, you know, they get ratted out to the king. And someone goes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, hey, those guys that you like so much, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow down. They defiantly just stood there while everyone else was bowing down and worshiping your image. And so it says in verse 13 that, that Nebuchadnezzar was furious with rage. He was just so angry. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? I'm hearing stuff, you guys. Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now listen, I like you guys, so I'm going to give you another chance. When you hear the, the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, we're, you know, no harm, no foul. We'll call it good. I'll extend some grace to you. Uh, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, one of the things that I would say that we're all dealing with in this modern iteration of the spirit of Babylon is there are times where it just seems overwhelming. It just seems like it's too much. It seems like it comes at us from, from every corner, from every, from every direction. And so it's easy for us to say, you know what? What God can save me? What God can deliver me? How can I stand up for Jesus on my college campus? 
right? The environment is so, maybe so much against me. What God can deliver me? Or how can I stand up for Jesus in the corporate environment that I'm in? Or in the specific dysfunctions of this family? Whatever it is, what God can deliver you out of my hand? And so what are some things that we can learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if we're going to be able to stand firm? And the first is this. I have, I have some fill-in-the-blanks if you want to go to the app and want to open up the fill-in-the-blanks with all the Bible verses and the main points. The first point is this. Standing firm takes courage. It takes courage. And that word courage, I, lo- you know, I love the etymology of that word. It comes from the word core. And it means that you have something inside of you that just like deep inside of you so that when all this pressure comes, you're able to stand. You're not going to bow. You're not going to bend. You're not going to break because there's something inside of you that's going to enable you to stand up. And you see that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the nth degree. It says in verse 16, they replied to the king. Now just remember, I love this reply because it's a little snarky. Because think about, this is the, the king of Babylon. He is by far the most powerful human being on planet Earth. Every person, tribe, tongue, language, they're all doing this thing. And the king of Babylon is mad. He's furious. He's angry. And he says, I'm going to turn up the fire seven times. I'm going to throw you in and you're going to burn up. You're going to burn up dead. Like the stakes are really, really high. And it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. And I kind of love that because I hear them kind of being like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) You know? All right, oh, you're, you're, the, you're King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, whatever. You're going to throw us into the fiery furnace, whatever. You know, they, they have this courage. They have this, they have this boldness. And I think that all of us, every single one of us, there's going to be, I think it's going to be increasing in our society in the years to come. There are going to be times, there has been and there will be times when you're going to need courage. Times when you're going to need to stand up for Jesus. That you're going to have a situation and it's going to be easier for you to bow down. It's going to be easier for you to not say anything. It's going to be easier for you to just go along to get along. But, but God's going to say, no, you need to have courage. You need to stand up. And so standing firm also takes faith. It takes faith. It takes faith to believe that God is with you. That whatever you're going through, Whatever it is you're facing, you're not standing alone. Daniel 3, 17 to 18. And I, again, you just see the, the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, listen, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And he's just like, listen, you know what? If you, you think you're the biggest, baddest, you think you're the most powerful, I just want to tell you, our God is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, verse 18, We want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So they said, you know what? God is able to deliver us, but even if he chooses not to, I just want you to know we're not afraid. And I want you to know we're not going to bow down. And, I, you know, I see this same kind of attitude, the same kind of spirit displayed in the life of Paul. I love this in 2 Timothy 4.18. He says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Now, wait, wait. So hold on, Paul. What are you saying here? Number one, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack or he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom, which will mean he'll, like, take me to heaven and I'll see Jesus when I die. Which is it? Is he going to save you from the earthly attack or is he going to bring you, is he going to, is he going to bring you into the kingdom of God? To which Paul says, uh-huh, yep. You know what? This is a win-win situation. 
This is a win-win situation that we're facing. Paul showed that in so many ways. Like they did, when you have the kind of courage that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego has, when you have that faith where you know if God is for me, who can be against me, doesn't matter what the world, what pressure, what comes your way, God is going to enable you to stand. And you just see that like with the Apostle Paul, right? So he's preaching the gospel, he's doing his thing, and then they come and they're like, Paul, you know what, if you keep preaching the gospel, we want you to stop, we don't like this, and if you keep doing it, we're going to beat you up. And so then they beat him. They beat him severely. And then he goes away rejoicing that he suffered worthy to, you know, like he's sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. And he's like, it's all good. So he doesn't stop. And like, Paul, we really, we don't, we don't want you preaching this gospel anymore. So now we're going we're to throw you into prison. If you keep doing it, we'll throw you into prison. And Paul's response is like, all right. All right, if that's what you want to do. Because you know what? The way it works in prison is they've got, you know, I'm going to be chained to a Roman guard. And so there's going to be three, during a 24-hour period, there's going to be three Roman guards, eight-hour shifts, and so they're going to be chained to me, so I'm going to have a captive audience. And so I'm going to preach the gospel to these Roman guards, and I'm pretty good at preaching the gospel, so I think at least one of them is going to get saved. And then they're going to go throughout the palace, and they're going to start spreading the gospel all over the palace, and it's going to be awesome. So, okay, you want to throw me into prison? Go ahead and throw me into prison. And they're like, hmm, this isn't working. All right, Paul, that's it. You know what? If you don't stop preaching the gospel, we're going to kill you. And he's like, all right. Because you know what? I've had this dilemma. Because I've wanted to, you know, it says in Philippians 1, 21 to 24, I won't read it, but, but what it says is, is, is that I've got all this important work to do and I need to do it, but it would be way better to depart and be with Jesus. And so I've been going back and forth. Should I stay here and do the work? Should I go be with Jesus? Stay here, go be with Jesus? I, I really haven't known. I've gone back and forth. You'd be taking that decision out of my hands. So, so okay, if that's what you want to get to do, go ahead and do that. So my question is, see, if you have that kind of faith, if you have that kind of courage, like what in the world can be thrown at you to make you stop? And the reality is nothing. You, like if your faith is that strong, if you know that God is with you, you know that God is for you, then you know that, that there's, there's nothing that comes against you that is going to make you wilt, that's going to make you bow down. You have a faith that can't be defeated because your eyes are on God and you know that no matter what, you're safe and secure in the kingdom of God. Right? How do you stop someone like that? You can't stop them. And so then verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar's furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual uh, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So that's how hot it was that even they got close and tried to throw them in, they died. They got burned up. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And so who was it that was in, who was it that was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That was Jesus. That was a pre-incarnate, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. It was a theophany. So Jesus was there from the very beginning, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And apparently, we don't know why, but apparently from time to time at different places in the Old Testament, Jesus would say, hey, Dad, I'm going to go down there for a little bit. I'll be right back. 
And this is one of those times. He went and he was standing with them. And so then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 26, he's freaking out. He approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors, they crowded around them because everyone is like, what is going on here? How is this even possible? And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. They weren't even burned. They weren't even like sunburned. They they weren't even red, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And I just, listen, I want to say this to some of you right now, because I think maybe some of you who are online or some of you who are here, you are in the fire. Like you're going through it. And I don't know maybe the specifics. Some of you, I know the specifics, but maybe there's something in your family and it's like you're in the fire. There's something in your job. There's something in your emotions. There's something, whatever it might be, like you're, you're trying to stand in the midst of a really, really hard situation. And sometimes, you know what? God does deliver us from the fire. Like what, what Jesus could have done is he could have shown up right when the guys were about to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire and say, all right, guys, I'm stopping this right now. But he didn't do that. He let them be thrown into the fire. But then when, he was th- when they were thrown into the fire, he went into the fire with them. And so some of you right now, you are in the fire. But I want to tell you, you are not alone in that fire. Jesus is with you. There's not one person in that fire. There's two people in that fire. And one of the people in the fire appears like the son of the gods because it's Jesus Christ. And Jesus has promised and he has said he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And I just want to tell you, some of you right now, you're in the fire. Jesus is with you. You are not alone. And not only are you not going to smell like smoke when you come out, you're not going to smell like bitterness. You're not going to smell like hopelessness. You're not going to smell like fear. You're not going to smell like devastation. What you're going to smell like, I don't know what this smells like, but you're going to smell like hope. You're going to smell like love. You're going to smell like grace. You're going to smell like courage. You're going to smell like conviction. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? And so listen, God might be allowing you right now to be in the midst of a fire, but he's with you in the fire. And he is shielding you from the effects of the fire that you're going through because he is a faithful God. The last point is this, is that standing firm inspires others. Standing firm has an impact on those around you. So I'm in this golf league. And you're like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? Stay with me. So there's 12, there's 12 of us in this golf league that I'm in. It's all these people that I, you know, that I live in Fairlawn. It's, it's guys that I know from town. Some of the people are people that I've known for years because we coached our kids together at soccer and baseball when they were little. There's a couple cops that are in the league that I'm just kind of getting to know, a couple school teachers, all sorts of different ages. You know, and it's really fun. There's 12 of us in this. Um, I'm currently in first place. Um, I, I felt that was important for you to know. That doesn't have anything to do with my story, but I felt that was an important part of the story. But, uh, but anyway, so, so one of the things that happens, right, when you're, you know, when you're in my position and you're like a reverend, people, people treat you weird. Like especially like, you know, good old, like typical like Jersey Catholic guy. You know, they, they don't know what to do. They're like, they don't know. What, so the guys that I've known for a while, they're cool. They're like, oh, yeah, no, Phil's normal. Phil's fine. But some of these new guys, they're like, they're like playing with, they're like nervous. You know, one guy brought a flask with him and he's like hiding. He's like, oh, I can't let the reverend see the flask. And 
And, and you know, they're, they're just kind of like, oh, sorry. You know, they'll curse after hitting a shovel. Like, oh, sorry, sorry, Reverend. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's like weird stuff that people get really funny about stuff. And, and it's sometimes a little awkward because there's group texts and I'm like, that's funny what they said, but I don't think I can like that. So I'm just going to back off from this. But, um, but here's the thing, though. You know what? What I've seen through the years, um, in, you know, being part of this league and in other ways, is that even though they might be a little uncomfortable or they might whatever, when something's going on in their life, they want to talk to me about it. So like if something's going on with one of their kids, they want to talk to me about it. They, in a way that's, that's different than how they might be talking about someone else. Or, or maybe they're, you know, some, they're struggling with their recovery. They want to talk to me about it. Or they have something going on in their marriage. They want to talk to me about it. Because see, the thing is, when you stand firm, when you let people know that you're a follower of Jesus, even if people are making fun or they're uncomfortable, they, they know that the reason you're able to stand firm is because you're standing on something solid. And they're going to they're gonna come to you and they're going to want to say like, hey, what, what's going on? Or, or here's my situation. And so I just want to encourage you again, like just be clear that you're a follower of Jesus. Now, don't be a religious wacko. Don't be weird. Because what they're going to do is they're going to watch you. And if they determine, oh, he's, he or she, they're just a religious wacko, then they're not going to come to you. But if they're like, wow, okay, you know what? They, they're, I, I don't understand everything they believe and what they're about, but there's, they seem approachable. They seem kind of with it. They, they seem like somebody that I can turn to. People are going to come to you because people are looking. They know that if you're standing firm, that you're standing on something that's solid. And so, so this is what happens here. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. I like how you notice how he's talking about the king as if it's another person now. You know, he's like, they defied the king's command, whoever that is, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, here's the thing. He had a moment, like he saw something. He's not all the way there yet. He didn't totally get it yet because he says, anyone who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're to be cut into pieces and their houses be burned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And so I listen, listen, so, so when you stand, however it is God is calling you to stand, when you stand, there oftentimes will be a price to pay. You might get thrown in the fire. But, I, but I, what I, you know what I've seen in the midst of the fire? in the midst of the challenge, in the midst of the difficulty, there's favor and there's promotion. There's favor and there's promotion that comes. The Bible does talk about like, and I don't fully understand, you know, he's an omniscient God, he knows everything, I'm, you know, but he, he will test us. And there are times that he'll test us. And, and, and then when we come through the test, there's, there's, like, there's like favor and there's blessing and there's reward that kind of comes through. And I wonder if maybe some of you right now, like you're being tested. And you're in a situation and it's like, are you going to fear God or are you going to fear the people around you? Are you going to bow down because everyone else is bowing down? Or are you going to stand up and not be a jerk about it, not engage in culture wars, or just say like, hey, you know what? I can't go there. I'm, I can't stand because, because I follow Jesus, because I love Jesus. So, so I'm going to stand. And so I just want to especially, I want to encourage you dads here on Father's Day. You know, encourage all of us. But I want to encourage you to stand. And we're going to stand in a moment, but I mean metaphorically right now, that you, would, that you would stand. That you would stand in the midst of your family. That you would stand, you know, for your spouse. That, you, that your spouse would know that Jesus is in the center of your life. 
and that you are trying to love her the way Christ loves the church. Now, you're falling short. We all know that. But that your wife would know you're trying. That your kids would look at you and say, you know what, my dad, the reason he sacrifices, the reason that he's present, the reason that he's here for us is because he loves Jesus. Is, is because he, he stands for Jesus. And we, we experience the benefit of my dad standing for Jesus because he's around. And let me just tell you a, a real baseline, a real foundational thing. You know, there's this interesting thing that seems to happen sometimes on, on Father's Day. Because like Mother's Day happens in churches, like we love the moms, we bless the moms, we give flowers to the moms. And then Father's Day comes and like for some reason like churches just yell at the fathers. You ever notice that? And just like, you need to do a better job. It's like, well, why can't give me a flower? What's going on? We have donuts for you, so it's all good. But, um, but, but I will say this, though. I think for some, let me challenge you, that a way for you to stand in a way that I think could make a difference in your family is when every Sunday morning rolls around that your kids know that you're going to lead the family to church. There weren't too many amens there. That's Okay. But I think that makes a difference. I think, listen, I think honestly, let I me mean, just be real. If you, if you just kind of go to church once a month or it's kind of like kids are like, I don't know, we go to church, dad's going to flip a coin or it's raining a little bit so we can't go, whatever it is, then I, I don't know if, if they're going to, you know, I just think that that's kind of a foundational thing for them to see that like, hey, you know what? We as a family, we're going to go to church on Sunday and we're going to worship God. And there's a lot more that you do to stand up for Jesus in your family. But, but I think that's kind of a foundational piece of it. And so I just want to encourage some of you that you say, hey, as for me and my house, we're going we're gonna to serve the Lord. And we can do that in all sorts of metaphorical ways and all sorts of ways that that fleshes out in our life. But in a real concrete way, say, we're going to go. And hey, kids, you're going to be in kids' church. And hey, kids, you're going to register for a vacation Bible school. And hey, you're going to go to youth group because we stand, we stand firm for Jesus in this family. And so I just want to encourage all of us to think about where it is we need to stand. And so we stand for Jesus because he stands for us, right? He stands for us. The Bible says that, you know, when, when the ultimate standing up for us was when he laid his life down for us, when he was raised up for us. And the Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so we have some glimpses, like when he's in Gethsemane and he's like, he's like, Father, this is too much. I can't do this. Well, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What that means is he thought of you and then he said, okay, I'm going to do it. And then when he's carrying the cross up that hill and he's stumbling and he can't physically can't do it and, and he's struggling to get back up again, he thought of you and he got back up. Oh, when he was laying on that cross and they were about to drive the nails into his hands and feet. And, you know, as he said to Pilate, at any moment he could have called down thousands upon thousands of angels and put a stop to this whole thing. But he thought of you and he let them drive the nails in. And so we stand for Jesus because he stands for us. Now, what's interesting is that one of the, the metaphors in the Bible, or one of the things that's said over and over again in the New Testament, is that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, that he, was, that he ascended into heaven and he was seated at the right hand of the Father. It says over and over again that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, that meant seated means like it's finished, it's done, he has all the authority, he doesn't have to walk around, he doesn't have to pace, he doesn't have to worry, his kingdom is secure, he's seated. But there's one time in the New Testament that we see that Jesus isn't seated. We see that Jesus is standing. And it's in Acts chapter 7. And it's when Stephen is being stoned to death because of his, he's standing up for Jesus. Now, being stoned, that's a horrible way to die. 
Like, we don't think about that, but when you're, like, stoned, what they do is they take rocks, like big boulders, and they just keep throwing them on you, piling them on you until you're dead. And so that would take a while, and that would be bloody, and that would be horrible, but this is Jesus, it says this about Stephen, uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 55, it says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And what that means is when you're standing up for Jesus, especially when you're in the fire, I want to promise you, I want to assure you, Jesus is standing up for you. Jesus is saying, I am with you. Jesus is saying, I'm going to get you through. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you my courage. I'm going to give you faith. I'm going to give you conviction. I'm going to hold you up. I'm not going to let you fall. I'm not going to let you falter. And I'm going to give you my favor. I'm going to give you my provision. I'm going to give you my blessing. I'm able to rescue you from every trial and temptation and bring you into, the hev- and bring you into the, to my heavenly kingdom. He says, I've got you. He says, I've got you, and I'm never going to leave you, and I'm never going to forsake you. And so I don't know where it is. Where is it in your life right now that you're bowing down? And I just want to encourage you to stand, that we'll stand. We'll stand with, with courage. We'll stand with faith. And we'll know that our standing makes a difference. And so let's have the dads stand for a moment. Fathers, stand up. We want to honor you. We want to bless you dads and grandpas and maybe even some great grandpas we honor you today we don't scold you we honor you and we want to pray for you and so let's pray for all the dads here for a moment god i pray that right now in jesus name that you would come and touch every dad who's standing up right now lord that you would fill each father with your love with your strength with your courage with your conviction, God. I pray, Lord, that you would pour your fire into them, God, in Jesus' name. So come, Holy Spirit. Come and have your way. And Lord, I pray that you give us grace as fathers, whether our kids are little, whether our kids are grown, whatever season we're in. God, we look to you. And we pray that you would give us the strength and courage that we need to stand for you in our families, to stand for you for our children, to stand for you for our wives, to stand for you, whatever our family, even those of us who are in broken families, God, show us how to stand for you in the midst of the brokenness. And so, Lord, I pray that each and every father standing up, I pray that they would know that you love them, that you're for them, and that you're with them. And that today and every day, God, they would feel your strength carrying them along. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, dads. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead. Let's, uh, those of you who are sitting over there, that's, you'll, you'll notice, look underneath, you'll see a basket. And we can pass the basket down this way. And you can put the connection card as well. If you have a, a physical offering that you want to put in the, in the basket as it passes by, we can do that. We're going to have people from the prayer ministry team come up. All right, so, so come on up if you're part of the prayer ministry team. Uh, we want to, you know, we want to pray for dads. If, if any of you dads want some prayer for you to be able to stand or whatever it is. I just, I think that as we were preaching about the fire and, and some of you, you know, you know that right now you're in the fire. We want to pray for you, for God's grace to be on you uh, in the fire, for this fire to end, for you to be able to come out of the fire. Some other things that the, um, 
the prayer team had a sense God wanted to do, some physical healing. They thought there was someone here who has uh, back muscle pain uh, in, that extends to your shoulders that God wants to heal you. Someone else who has pain in the front part of their head, a lot of pressure in your eyes that God wants to heal you. Um, they had a sense that that someone here feels called to full-time ministry and you're really thinking about it, but what is holding you back is the financial concerns and that God just wants to encourage you and let you know that as you follow him, as you step into his plans for you, he's got you and he's going to provide for you. And then they also had the sense that there's a young person, I don't know how we wanted to find that, but, but someone who's been, you're struggling with a really big temptation. I think there's, there's something that you're dealing with that you kind of know. You know, Jesus said there's the, the narrow road that leads to life and the broad road that leads to destruction. You kind of know it's like a broad road to destruction kind of thing, but it's really hard. And that Jesus sees you and he loves you and he's with you. So let's all stand. And so God, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would come and you'd minister to us, Lord. You'd pour out your spirit. Lord, just give us the courage, God, to come up and get prayer for whatever it is we need prayer for. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would flow here in a powerful way. And we just pray for your, your abundant blessings on every dad and every family that's represented here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, come up and get prayer. We got all the, we got lots of donuts. We got lots of Krispy Kreme donuts. So they're not only for the dads, they're for all of us. So grab a donut and say, thank you, dad, for the donut. God bless you guys. Have a great week.